Well, here we are at the end of Paul's second letter to Timothy, uh, and thus at the end of our sermon series in 2 Timothy. Again, this is Paul's last letter, uh, the last letter that he wrote, uh, Paul's last words as he sat in a prison and, and faced execution, uh, knowing that his death is imminent. And so, of course, this letter then being very thoughtful and important uh, last words, with the overall theme, the overarching charge to guard the gospel. Today, our text is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, uh, with our main focus being on verses 1 through 8. The church Bible under the chair in front of you, uh, if you're using that, you'll find it on page 996. And today we come to Paul's final charge, the charge to proclaim the gospel. Our key verse uh, being verse 2, or at least the very first statement of it, preach the word. Preach the word, which is the charge to proclaim the gospel. So let's pray. Lord God, as we come to you this morning, we give you thanks once again that you are the God who has spoken and the God who speaks, that you have given us your word. And we pray that now, once again, by the power of your spirit, you would open us to your word and your word to us, that we would be changed, that we would more deeply believe, that we would more clearly see Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. And so, 2 Timothy, chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Hear the word of God. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved, who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark, and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus, 
I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander, the coppersmith, did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. And this is God's word for our good and his glory. And so let's turn to it now. And let's take a quick look at the end of this letter, uh, verses 9 through 18. Uh, considering first the, the context before looking more closely uh, at the command, uh, the actual charge given to us at the beginning of chapter 4. So here in these last handful of verses at the end of the letter, uh, the, the context, we're again reminded that Paul's situation is dire. Uh, he's been deserted by former colleagues and friends, uh, seen here also at the end of chapter 1, if you remember that. Uh, some current colleagues and friends have been sent elsewhere uh, for ministry purposes. Uh, we already know that Paul is in Rome. He's in prison, literally in chains. He is shackled. So unlike his previous house arrest at the end of Acts, where there was a lot of freedom, uh, as we have talked about before and as William Hendrickson points out, this time he's incarcerated in a dismal underground dungeon with a hole in the ceiling for light and air. Well, here at the end of the letter, we see again that he's been abandoned. It hurts. He's feeling alone. And we're reminded that Paul expects to be executed soon. He's on death row. And he wants Timothy to come to him as soon as he can. Remember that Paul and Timothy have a, a special relationship, a very close, very deep, very personal relationship, a relationship of mutual affection. So much so that if you remember how Paul opens this letter to Timothy, he addresses him as my dear son, my beloved child. We've already seen that Timothy has wept at their last goodbye, and now Paul longs to see him one more time before he dies. But in the midst of all of Paul's personal pain and suffering remains his passion 
for God's glory to be known, and thus for the gospel to go forth. Paul remains passionate then that the gospel be proclaimed, and thus his command to preach the word. And so we we shift now to this charge, the charge to proclaim the gospel in verses uh, 1 through 8. Again, our main focus for the morning. And the charge is about being a herald, a messenger, a messenger of the good news in Jesus. Now, the role of a herald uh, is is making proclamation on behalf of a king. And so we're going to consider these eight verses under two headings, heralds of the word and heralds on the run, Uh, heralds of the word, declaring and demonstrating the gospel of Jesus, and heralds on the run, running the race of life together and for God's glory. And so let's uh, look at heralds of the word, uh, verses 1 through 5, if you want to follow along with me again. Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Well, an an Australian friend uh, and fellow pastor uh, was quick to point out I'm not talking about Nathan Kiwi, though I could hear him say something like this. But quick to point out that as, as Paul sits on death row, he actually knows that it is not really him who's in trouble, but all those without the gospel. And so, and my friend referenced an, an older movie that maybe some of you have heard of. It's called The China Syndrome. It's about a, a nuclear reactor here in, in, in the U.S. on the West Coast. Uh, it's about to malfunction. If it does, there will be a meltdown burning a hole all the way through the core of the earth to China, hence the title of the movie. And the two main characters are uh, TV news reporters, uh, a news team, and they find out what is about to happen. But of course, the whole thing is being covered up. The authorities want to keep this quiet. The news reporters uh, have a conscience. They want to warn people about this, and the authorities try to stop them, uh, even kill them. And at the same time, while they've got the authorities after them, the people that they are telling don't believe them and actually laugh at what they're saying. But they risk their lives anyway because they know that this is dangerous, that people must be warned. And my friend said, to know something like that and not do all you could is unthinkable. The reality is, people all around us face a peril far worse. God's judgment. 
God's judgment on all who don't believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Paul knows that people are living ignorant of reality, or at least in denial of it. He knows that people often seek out what their itching ears want to hear, that many no longer endure sound teaching or healthy words, but instead fill, fill the stomachs of their souls with spiritual junk food, and then unwittingly wander off into myths, away from the truth. And thus Paul exhorts at the end of this paragraph, uh, very much echoing what he and, and we have already covered, Paul exhorts that we must keep our heads in all situations, uh, that we must endure suffering and hardship, that we must speak the truth in love and fulfill the life and ministry that God has given to each of us. Now think about it. It would be like having the, the pill that would cure cancer. The, the cancer-curing pill. Do we keep it hidden in our pocket? I hope not. Well, we have the message of life that our dying world desperately needs to hear. The gospel pill that is the cure for the cancer of sin and death. And so Paul gives us this charge. Preach the word. He calls us to be heralds of the word. Now, it's a, a very short statement, short charge in verse 2, and yet very significant. Preach the word. Again, the role of a herald is, is making proclamation on behalf of the king. So the question is then, what are, what are we proclaiming? The word. The gospel. The truth about God. The message of Jesus. His perfect life, sacrificial death, glorious resurrection on our behalf. For forgiveness of sin, reconciliation with God. Eternal life in Christ, the Word, the message revealed in the Scriptures, the living Word, Jesus, made known through the written Word. And so we're called to preach the living Word through the written Word. But what do I mean by we? The fact that we all, that we're all called to preach... Now, preach the word. It isn't that just for pastors? I mean, probably at any ordination or installation, there is a good chance you will hear this charge given. But is it just for pastors? Well, the Greek word for preach is keruso. And this word has a narrow sense and a broad sense. Okay, think about it like this. Uh, for example, worship. You, you take, when we speak of worship, there's the, the narrow, more specific way of referring to it when we talk about coming to a worship service. So today, did you come to worship? Yes, you came to a worship service. But we can also speak of worship in a broader, more comprehensive way, referring to all of life, that all of life is worship. At home, at work, in our play. Well, so it is with this Greek keruso. There's the narrow, more specific reference to what I'm doing right now, is a pastor preaching from a pulpit. But then there's the broader, more comprehensive meaning, which refers to all Christians 
proclaiming the gospel. You see, preaching from the pulpit is never an end in itself. Preaching from the pulpit should always lead to proclamation by the church, by the body of Christ, by all of us. And interestingly enough, this word keruso, it shows up twice in, in the, the longer version of this passage. Uh, translated in verse 2 is preach, but then later in verse 17 is proclaim. And if you go look up the word proclaim, you'll see that it involves both declaring and also demonstrating. In other words, proclaiming through both word and deed. Two sides of the same coin. Proclaiming with our lips, but also with our lives. And in that way, we're all called to preach. We are all charged to proclaim the gospel. And so we're all heralds of the word. Declaring and demonstrating the good news of Jesus. And as such, we're also all heralds on the run. Running the race of life together for the glory of God. And that's the second part of our passage. And so lastly, heralds on the run. Uh, verses 6 through 8, if you want to follow along with me again. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved who have longed for his appearing. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul has been running the race of life for many, many years at this point. He's on the home stretch, the, the final mile of the marathon of life. He's been running the race as a herald, making proclamation for King Jesus. In fact, the very first marathoners did not run for medals, for gold and silver and bronze medals. No, and, and the first marathoners were heralds on the run. Uh, they, they ran, in the ancient days, ran with important news from place to place. That was, that was their calling. Well, here, verse 7, Paul is once again using an athletic Metaphor, and the metaphor of a race. He's fought the good fight, alluding to an athletic contest. Finished the race, making clear that said contest is about running. The metaphor illustrates the life of faith. He has fought, and he has finished. Now listen to what that implies. He has fought the good fight. He's fought. It's been challenging. I mean, it's been a struggle. He has finished the race. It has been a long journey, and he has kept the faith. He has stayed the course of the gospel. But very important, notice what it doesn't say. Notice what Paul does not say. Paul does not say that he has won the fight 
or that he has won the race. Rather, he has kept the faith, the faith grounded in the victory of Jesus. Paul knows that it is Jesus who has won the race for him. And he's kept the faith, always running with one foot in front of the other. The two steps of the Christian life. Continual repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. That's how he's run. So the first marathoner. uh, uh, Hero, ancient Greek hero, Pheidippides. Anybody heard of Pheidippides? A few of you. Well, I, I first heard of Pheidippides as a kid. My, my hometown, there was a running store called Pheidippides. I had no idea why. I couldn't pronounce it. I couldn't spell it. But that's what they called it. Now I know. But Pheidippides is said to have run from, from Marathon, a city, from the city of Marathon, uh, to the city of Athens to deliver important military news. News of a victory. And do you know what happened to him after he had finished the race and finished proclaiming the news? Oh, you know, is that yes? He died. He dropped dead. He had finished the race. Well, here, verse 6, Paul is already being poured out. He's in the process of dying. He uses this uh, common first century euphemism for death, saying that the time of his departure has come, like a ship setting sail. Paul has run the race of life as a herald of the gospel. And he's passing the gospel baton to Timothy, who passes it to us. The good news of Jesus is passed from generation to generation to generation. And one of the beautiful things about this race is that we get to run it together. We get to run this race together. We don't run it alone. Uh, I ran a marathon once. That's the key word, once. I, I am not a marathoner. Uh, if you want to meet someone who runs marathons, talk to Tim Hutchison. But I ran one once. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And it was, truly, it was, it was both a, a challenging struggle and, and a long journey. Uh, but also along the way, it was full of joy. A painful joy, but joy nonetheless. And I, I ran it with three guys. I was starting off, off the race solo, but I began to realize I need support as I go through this race. And I had met three guys right at the start of the race. I cannot remember all their names. There was Rod, Gotham, and I've been racking my brain the last couple of days for the third guy. So forgive me, third guy. But I do remember they were easy to spot. They wore powder blue T-shirts. And they each had one word of a three-word phrase on the back of those shirts. Who's your daddy? (laughs) So I ran that marathon with who's your daddy. And about halfway through, one of the guys got a knee injury. Uh, He had to drop out. Another one of the guys uh, cramped up. And so he had to slow down and run with some other uh, runners behind us. But I was able to stay with this guy, Rod. Again, had never met him. We got to know each other a lot over those miles running together. And as I look back, I realize what we were doing is we were heralding while running. And what what I mean is this, is that first we we actually declared. There, There were words of encouragement and exhortation. 
to one another as we ran side by side, but also to, to those around us, and we received similar words from other people uh, that were running in this, this large group of folks. There were, there were people lining the streets who would cheer you on. But there weren't only the words, there were also the deeds. Deeds of kindness and support, giving and receiving water and gel packs. There were the, the hydration stations, which were wonderful, but also very practical gifts. A cup of water. I even remember a bystander jumping into the race to help an injured runner finish the race. And I'm not talking about the last mile. I'm talking about probably the last third of it. Words and deeds together. And isn't this how the church is supposed to be? Heralds on the run, running together, proclaiming good news through word and deed to one another and to the world around us. That's what we're called to. And one more thing. I want you to notice how Paul ends this passage, or at least this part of the passage. Verse 8. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved to all who have longed for his appearing. And did you see that that's the same way he began the passage, the charge? I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and by his appearing and kingdom. His appearing. Seeing Jesus. Paul has run the race with the end in sight. His eyes always on the prize. Because you see, upon his death, Paul fully expects to meet Jesus. To joyfully meet God, to be welcomed into his kingdom, and to be transformed into one who is completely righteous. As Gordon Fee so aptly puts it, one receives the final crown of righteousness Precisely because one has already received the righteousness of Christ by faith. And so we run the race with the end in sight. With our eyes on the prize. With our eyes always on Jesus. Friends, Jesus is the one we herald. He is the prize that we preach. It is Jesus who won the fight for us. It is Jesus who finished the race for us. It is Jesus who has kept us and continues to keep us today by his faithfulness. This is the gospel we proclaim. The gospel of God's word. Essential. Powerful eternal and necessary. It is what we have been given. And ultimately, it's all we need. Ultimately, all we need to bring true hope and real healing to a broken and sinful world.
And so, in light of the five charges that we've heard Paul give in 2 Timothy, I charge you, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and by His appearing and His kingdom, to guard the gospel, to suffer for it, to develop character through it, to continue in it, and to proclaim it, and always with your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have won the fight. We thank you that you have won the race, that you have kept us and are keeping us. And we thank you that you invite us to run with you, to participate in your redemptive work of the gospel. And so we pray now, Lord, empower Encourage us to do so as we long for your appearing. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.